with you this evening, the book of Matthew chapter 26. The book of Matthew chapter 26. Amen. I'm trying to. Praise God. It's not doing what I want it to do. Oh, well, wouldn't be the first time. Matthew chapter 26 tonight. We're going to look at that text extensively this evening. Beginning with verse 36. We're going to look through uh, possibly to the end of that chapter tonight. Sermon I've entitled this evening, Soul Crushing Prayers. And hopefully God will speak to us tonight. I believe I have the mind of God. God's going to help us. Can you say amen? The word of God reads this way. Then Jesus, verse 36, went with them, thank you, to the olive grove called Gethsemane, which means pressure or weight. And Jesus said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he had taken Peter and Zebedee's two boys, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Verse 38, which is where I got the title of my sermon from. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. This is Jesus talking. Stay here and keep watch with me. Keeping watch is akin to praying. Stay here, pray with me. He went on a little farther and bowed down with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Soul-crushing prayers. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is very hard to pray when your soul is crushed. What I mean by this, beloved, is there are prayers after the fact. These are prayers when the situation is inevitable. Jesus is going to be handed over to the Roman army by the design and the desire of the synagogue and the Sanhedrin of his day. He prophesied about it. He spoke to his disciples about it. He even got rebuked by Peter uh, 10 chapters earlier saying, no, Lord, um, this is not going to happen. Remember, and, and, and Jesus turned around and said, get, get thee behind me, Satan, for you savor the things of man and not of God. How many remember that? And the reason why Peter pulled him to the side and began to address this is because Jesus began to speak of his inevitable future. He began to speak of his fate. He said, listen, this is going to happen and there is nothing you can do about it. In fact, that is the reason why I'm here. I am here to die. 
But for the first time in a long while, we see more of a human side of Jesus. He said, my soul is crushed within me, and I feel incredible grief. And it's in times like this, beloved, where it can be very challenging and nearly impossible to pray. It's quite difficult to pray in these times, even as a child of God. And yet, those are the best times to pray. These are soul-crushing times, and I want to walk you through this and perhaps uh, shed some light. It is in these times of inevitability that we grieve the most. Because many of us, if we be honest tonight... The last thing we want to do in times like these is pray. Reason being, the mentality is it's too late for things to change, so what's the use? I've heard people say this, uh, the reason why I don't pray or the reason why I don't go to church uh, is because these things, um, uh, it's inevitable. It's already happened, um, and so what's the use? These prayers are not prayers of circumvention. I want you to pay attention to me tonight. To circumvent something means to go around it, to take an alternate path. How many are with me tonight? But these particular prayers are not like that. In other words, um, when we pray in these times, um, it is not to escape or, or even to change the circumstance. Um, these prayers are designed um, to prepare your heart for the inevitable event. See, my granddaughter was already at the hospital. It wasn't she got sick um, and then I prayed. Um, she was already there. Or perhaps uh, my landlord uh, has already changed the locks on the apartment. My spouse is already in jail. My child is already on drugs. Uh, my soul is crushed within me. And there are many other scenarios of this nature that crush us. We knew it was coming. It is now upon us and we feel helpless and it is hard to pray in these times. Jesus told us in verse 38, he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. If anybody can endure pain, if anybody can endure hardship, it would be Jesus. So for him to express what he's feeling, this must be pretty deep. He was grieving about what was going to happen and he grieved about what already happened. He knew that he was going to be crucified. We know that. But he also knew that Judas would betray him in order to get him there. Remember, uh, he said, one of you uh, is going to betray me tonight. And even the disciples uh, begin to look around and say, Lord, um, who uh, is it I? And even Judas uh, asked the same question. Uh, and he said, he said, the one uh, that dips his hand in the bowl uh, is the one that is going to betray me. Judas, uh, having already dipped his hand in the bowl uh, with the bread, uh, amen, and and then Judas asked the question, Lord, is, is it I? And Jesus said, you have said it. Go 
and do it quickly. In other words, get it over with. I know what you're going to do. I know that you went, um, amen, to the religious people of your day. Uh, I know that you went and talked to them and said, uh, what must I do to hand Jesus over? I know that it's already been in your heart, uh, amen, to betray me. Uh, this is inevitable. Nothing is going to stop this. Uh, and in fact, the Bible says in another gospel, uh, the moment he dipped his hand uh, in the bowl, the Bible says Satan entered him. This is inevitable. God set all this up on purpose. He said, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And yet, Jesus still went to Gethsemane. He still went to pray. Even though he felt the grief. He took his top three disciples with him. All of his disciples went, but he took his top disciples with him to a different place where he could pray. And if we would just examine for a few moments what the disciples did in this time, perhaps you can identify with how you react in soul-crushing times. Can we talk about it? Matthew 26, verse 40 through 43, Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, and again, a second time he went away praying, oh, my father. If this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy. And so my question tonight is, in soul-crushing times, are you overcome by sleep? See, life can deal blows that are so heavy that it drives us to escape. If you're a sane and rational person like myself, you know, as well as I do, that beer is not delicious. It's what it does to you that satisfies. It is a way of escape. They say in America, 75% of alcoholics started at the point of depression. 75%. It drives us to escape. And the Bible says as Jesus is praying, his top three disciples are overcome or heavy with sleep. Now, in the Greek, um, this word asleep here, what it means is, is very interesting. Um, it means to be indifferent um, to one's salvation or to be dead. I thought that was fascinating. In other words, when we experience soul-crushing blows to our lives, um, it can bring about the death of our faith um, or we become indifferent. Um, amen. When you become indifferent, um, language like I don't care 
amen, becomes your anthem or your moniker. I, you know what? I, you know what? I don't care. I, whatever. I don't care. If it works out, it works out. If it don't, it don't. You know what? I really don't care. I'm tired of getting my hopes up. What happened? You fell asleep. They knew. The disciples knew that Jesus was stressed out. He brought them up into the upper room. He's preaching to them. Then he begins to break bread. This is very personal. He's, and I mean, he's using some personal language that he normally doesn't use. He says, take this bread, for this bread is my body. It always made the disciples nervous when he began to talk about his future of death. And no wonder Peter pulled him to the side and rebuked him and said, you know, I really wish you wouldn't talk like that, Jesus. You're talking about how they're going to turn you over and they're going to do this. Hey, man, we didn't sign up for this. We thought you were going to ride in um, and you were going to overthrow the Romans um, and the Jews were going to rise to power like the, like the times of David. Even Philip believed this um, in the book of Acts um, and later on in John. Um, he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is inside of you. I must go to the cross. I must die. This is the reason why I came. And it always made him nervous. Um, and so now it's just the 13 of them. Um, and they're all up in a close room um, and they're, having bre- they're breaking bread. Uh, and he uses this language. Um, this is my body consume it do this when you when you remember me every time you think of me do this and so in their mind what what do you mean when we remember you where are you going Take this cup. This is my blood. This is very personal. This is inevitable language. They know he's stressed out. He's broken out into a sweat. He's in the garden. He's pleading with them, pray with me. Pray with me this hour. My soul is vexed. And, you know, they don't know what's going on. What's wrong with the master? What's wrong with Jesus? He walked on water. He healed people. He set people free. He cast out demons. Um, he feds the multitudes um, and so if he's lost um, if he's stressed out if he's broken um, if his soul is crushed what can we do we got to get out of here and they went to sleep out of the 12 people in that prayer meeting because Judas left only one prayed And that was Jesus. See, here's the crux of the matter. Prayer in these times is not designed to change or fix the situation you found yourself in. See, there's the problem. Many times we pray to get out of situations. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, amen, if that's all you pray, you're not going to last very long. Lord, get me out of this. Lord, change her. Lord, change him. And Lord, do this. Lord, do that. I preached this uh, uh, last week. One of the biggest lies that Satan ever told the church is um, if you go to church, um, then your life will be better. That's one of the smoothest stories he's ever told. And there are people, amen, in the Bible Belt that believe that. If I go to church, um, if I start uh, getting religious, um, then my life is going to get better. That's not necessarily true. Amen. Come on, somebody. Does everybody's Bible got Luke chapter 16 in it? 
It talks about Lazarus. Uh, the Bible says the brother was a beggar um, and he used to beg um, for the crumbs um, that fell from the rich man. The rich man fed him crumbs um, and dogs came over and licked his sores um, and the Bible says he died and went to heaven. You're not going to heaven if you're not saved. So his whole saved life he was a beggar. Um, amen. And he has sores that could never be healed um, and dogs are indicative of demons um, and so this is a Christian um, that many of us would look at and say this man is defeated. He has no dominion. Uh, dogs are licking his sores. Um, all the wounds of his life remain fresh because he has no dominion to stave him off. He can't balance a checkbook. He can't keep his money together. He doesn't even come into blessing because the best he can do is get crumbs. But that was the life that God had chose for him. See, we don't think of it that way. These prayers, beloved, are designed to prepare you to go through what is inevitable. Very powerful scripture in the Bible. Amen. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the book of Daniel. Amen. It's talking about Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah. We know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names. Amen. Because when you're captured, when you're in bondage, amen, um, the devil not only takes you from where you are, but he seeks to change your name. That's a whole different story. But be that as it may, we know, amen, um, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he, he's, he's feeling himself. And so he says, hey, I want y'all to make a big old statue, uh, and I want that statue to look just like me. I know that don't happen today, but just, just stay with me. And uh, on the radio station, every time y'all play my number one song, everybody is to bow down and worship the gold statue. How many know the story? And these three Hebrew boys, scholars believe um, the oldest was no more than 16 or 17 years old. So you got these three teenagers in the entire nation, not the entire city, not the entire state. Come on, somebody. In the entire nation. We currently have close to 398 million people um, in America. Could you imagine only three people out of nearly 400 million people are standing up and saying, no, we are not going to compromise our faith. That's some pressure. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 3, um, he said, are you ready at this time? You hear the sound uh, of all kinds of music. Uh, you will bow down. And then this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse uh, uh, 15. But if you do not worship, um, you shall be cast immediately um, into the midst of the burning furnace. Um, and who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? What God will save you? This is inevitable. There is no way out of this. There is no lawyer slick enough to get them. Uh, there is no, uh, you know, hey, uh, we just put them on probation. Uh, we're just going to slap them on the wrist. Uh, no, 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 no. You either worship or you're going to die. There is no escape. This is inevitable. And what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to do is this. Verse 16, they said, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Our God is able to deliver us out of your hands. But even if he doesn't, see, it's prayers like that, friend, soul crushing. We know that God, uh, uh, he's not going to deliver us. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, uh, we are not going to bow down. We are not going to worship the golden image. Um, and so if we're going to die, we're going to die believing God. If that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. Soul crushing. They're not praying that God would get them out. 
while they were in the fiery furnace, if you read the story, they don't even ask God for deliverance. Jesus just shows up because the prayer wasn't, God, get me out of the furnace. The prayer was, God, my heart still belongs to you, furnace or no furnace. And we know what happened in verse 19. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, even the expression on his face changed, and he heated up the furnace seven times hotter. Amen. I don't know how you can make, you know, heat hot, hotter than it was. I, I don't know how they did that. Amen. I don't know if it went from a red flame or a yellow flame to a blue flame, but that's pretty intense. They were bound. They were alone. They were outnumbered. They were facing a fiery furnace. There's no way to escape this and keep their faith at the same time. But they said, even if he doesn't, that is the prayers. Those are the prayers that Jesus prayed. If it is all possible, God, will you take this cup from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. It's prayers like that, beloved. They don't change the circumstance. They prepare our hearts to face what is coming. And so we either pray or we become indifferent. The disciples here fell asleep. Many of us will respond like this. You know, it's prayers like this that dictate our spiritual health and reality. Matthew 26, verse 50 through 52. Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Now we moved on from the prayer meeting, uh, and now uh, Judas shows up. Um, he's got the garrison of soldiers with him. Uh, they came and laid hands on Jesus, uh, and they begin to arrest him. They begin to take him, and suddenly uh, uh, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, uh, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Verse 52, but Jesus said, put your sword away in its place, uh, for all who live by the sword shall die by the sword. How many know that scripture? Why do some people choose this route in soul-crushing times? The tendency is to take matters into our own hands uh, and we, when we don't see the results uh, that we're looking for. Amen. The reaction is emotional, uh, and this is typical behavior for people who do not pray. See, people who do not pray have the tendency to take matters into their own hands. Uh, and I'm here to declare to you tonight, um, Jesus would lift his voice and say to you, put your sword away. A life that doesn't have prayer in it is essentially a life whose God is themselves. And Jesus is telling us, put your sword away. This is inevitable, beloved. And you can't just start swinging your emotional sword thinking that you're going to change things. What was said about you was said about you. And it can't be unsaid and it'll never be unheard. Put your sword away. You know, there are some things that simply do not have to be said. You know, the world won't die with or without your opinion. Hello, somebody. 
most of the time in life, it's better to take things to the Lord than to voice things potentially making matters worse. Put your sword away. I found this very interesting that Peter cut this man's ear off. Why is that interesting to me? Because our desire to be heard, but our emotional reactions causes people to go deaf and they can't hear us. It's like the louder you try to vindicate yourself, the louder you try to justify your behavior, nobody's listening. It makes sense to nobody. It's better to just be quiet. Put your sword away. Why? I mean, stand back. I'm going to tell them it's not going to help. And it's not going to change anything. I, well, they just need to be told. No, they don't. They need to be prayed for. You need to be prayed for. Hello, somebody. Well, you just wait till I get to church. I, 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 I. You have no intention of seeking God. You have no intention of even worshiping him. It's all about shing. And Jesus will say to you tonight, uh, put your sword away. You're cutting off the very ears uh, that you're trying to speak your side of the story into. And they can't hear what you're saying. And here come the tears. And here come don't nobody understand me. And don't nobody love me. And the next thing you know, you're down the street at somebody else's church. Until it happens again. And you just go from church to church to church to church. And there's all kind of ears and blood all over the streets of Pasadena. Put your sword away. The Lord is your vindication. God will vindicate you. Amen. God will vindicate you. God will, listen, uh, uh, hey, they'd rather deal with you than deal with the God that you serve. They'd rather deal with you. Amen. You don't have to defend yourself. Jesus said, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Hello, somebody. If you got seven haters, uh, then you need to figure out how you can get to ten. Come on, somebody. Because haters are going to hate. That's what they do. Let them talk. Let them run their mouth. I love what Pastor Wayman Mitchell said. God rest his soul. He said, I shake hands with people on Sunday that have been talking about me all week long. I don't lose an ounce of sleep. Put your sword away. You're not changing anything. But these are reactions. These are things that we do in soul-crushing times. Personally, do I have the right to go off on you because of what we're going through with my granddaughter. Do I have that right? Is your lack of understanding of what is soul crushing to me give me the license to violate my brother and sister? Of course not. You know why Jonah acted the way he did? Because the Ninevites violated the Israelites. You can read about it in Second Chronicles. They did the Jews dirty. And Jonah remembered that. He said, I ain't going. He was so mad. We, we know, come on, we know the book. He went the opposite. I ain't going there. Ain't no way. Right? And he was mad. He said, I knew you was going to save them. You should have burned all of them. Why? Because of what they did. You don't understand what I go through. You don't understand the violation, Pastor. Pastor. 
but that doesn't give you a license to violate other people. It's soul crushing. It was soul crushing that night. Watching my, my baby. I mean, I, you know, and I'm, I'm not even the parent. And, 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 it's, and it's crushing to me to watch my little granddaughter sitting in that little buggy shaking involuntarily because of the sickness. And my prayer is, God, give me the heart to handle what is happening. I don't want my kids to be unsaved. I don't want my granddaughter to suffer this sickness. And if it were possible, God, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will. Give me the strength to go through it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I do Monday through Friday is I need to come here to pray through the soul-crushing times. It hurts my heart when people struggle in their marriage. It hurts my heart when you struggle in your faith. It hurts my heart knowing that you know the truth. Some and still decide to go in a different direction. I can't change it. I can't do anything about it. Lord, if it were possible, take this cup. But nevertheless, prepare my heart to handle it. I will not fall asleep on them. And I will not draw my sword to attack because of the difficulty. I'm talking about soul-crushing prayers. Put your sword away. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Matthew 26 tonight again, verse 56. It says these words, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Look at what it says. Then all the disciples forsook him and ran. There are some who fall asleep and become indifferent. There are others that draw their sword. And then there are some that run away. It is just so much. Uh, Pastor, you just don't understand. I'm going through so much. So much so that you run away from the only one that can help you. It almost sounds ridiculous. Hey, why didn't you come to church? I'm going through some problems. Um, coming to the house of God is where those problems can be addressed and solved. Who ever heard of somebody that refused to go to the hospital because they broke their leg? In these soul-crushing moments, we tend to run away. And there are people who simply refuse to show up. You can't find them at all. They either run physically, no contact. I just need, you know what? I just need to be alone. My Bible tells me that Jesus went after the one. He didn't go after the 99 because the 99 were safe. 
It was the Lone Ranger. It was the one that was in danger. It was the one that ran off. Or we run off spiritually. We simply stop pursuing the things of God. Disciples no longer want to be disciples. They no longer want to contend. What's the use? Pastor's got his favorites, uh, and there's nothing I can do to gain his favor. What's the use? And so you run. We become cynical. When I was contending, a pastor would have never let me get away with that. Our devotion to prayer can stop. Our devotion to the word of God, church attendance, ministry opportunities, all of it is sparse. Uh, We've run away. We've abandoned. Friend, you didn't abandon just the church. You abandoned Christ himself because Jesus is the head of the church, not me. Jesus died on the cross for the church. You know, one of the things that will soon happen here is couples will begin to get launched out. And new believers will come in, and they'll be elevated to ministry. The fleeing saint will get a front row seat to watch what they were supposed to be doing or should have done. You know how mind-bending and torturous this can be? John chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, uh, being a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep fleeing. And the wolf catches the sheep, scattering them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care. Have you become a hireling, brother? Have you become a hireling, sister? You know what's scary about that scripture uh, that I've come to realize that the hiring, hireling isn't just abandoning the sheep that are presently in the sheepfold but potentially abandoning the future sheep to come. Because if you abandon people that are already here, you're not going to witness to the people on your job or at school or in your sphere of influence. And you think by running away, you're only running from here. No, friend. You're also running from people on their way. There are people who have yet to be saved. And if we run now, we'll never stop. What used to bother me and still bothers me today is, Lord, you put me in this job. You put me here for a reason. And if I run away from your will, will these people not be saved? It was my job. You put me here for that purpose, but I didn't fulfill that purpose. Is that why my boss isn't saved? Is that why my coworker isn't saved? We sit at the same lunch table every day. I had thoughts like that. I said, God, I, God forgive me. May, may I never come to a place in my life where I do this. One of my favorite films is The Passion of the Christ. It's very powerful to me. Amen. I mean, the book is better, but I love the film. It's, it's, it's really neat how they did it. They, you know, the authenticity of it is very, very powerful. 
And there's a line in the film as the film begins to reach its apex. And many would, would agree with me, maybe some would disagree, but I, I, I thought this was the climax of the film, is when he was taken into the Roman hall to be whipped and beaten. That's where things got real. Right? Anybody ever seen Passion of Christ? It's intense. And they're bringing him in. And the, and the, and the Romans, you know, they're, they're making fun of him. And, and they've got all these weapons lined out. All these torturing devices lined out on the table. You ever see that? You see the cat of nine tails? They've got whips. They've got rods. They've got all kinds. I mean, they're, and they're getting ready to, have, to beat this brother to a pulp. But Jesus makes this powerful statement. They shackle him. He's standing on that block. They're behind him. He doesn't know who's going to strike first or when it's coming. Amen. You know, that'll set your kids free. If you have them bend over and not see the lick coming, they don't know when it's coming. And he's sitting there. He makes this statement. He said, my heart is ready, Father. My heart is ready. How could he make such a statement? How could he say something like that? It's inevitable. He cannot escape. He's too weak. He's potentially malnourished. They didn't feed this man. They didn't give him anything. He's weak. He's tired. And that's not the only torment. He was already messed around and smacked up and beat on before he even got there. And yet he could boldly say with love in his heart for you and for me, I'm ready for my heart is ready. How could he say that? I can tell you how he said it. See, he didn't say it just there. He said it in Gethsemane, in prayer. That's how his heart was ready. And they beat this man and beat this man and beat this man. And then it really got real. Well, I mean, he's soaked in blood and everything. And then the, the, the commander goes like this. And so then they turn him over. So they're, they're through beating his back. Now they're beating him on the chest and the face and the neck and every. But what did he say? How could he handle that? He said, my heart is ready, Father. My heart is ready. Changed my whole perspective. In soul-crushing times, uh, when, I, when I don't have the answers, uh, when, when, when the situation uh, is inevitable, this is going to happen, uh, I'm going to pray, God, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine. See, for Jesus, prayer was not a last resort. Prayer was a daily practice. And so, of course, uh, his heart was ready. He refused to go to sleep. He refused to draw his own sword. If you know his testimony, uh, when, when, when Peter cut off that ear, he said, put your swords away. Don't you think um, I can simply uh, summon all the legions of heaven to come down and will wipe these folks off the fact I did not come to be saved, but I came to be a ransom for many. Father, my heart is ready. I'm not asking you to deliver me out of this situation. I'm asking you to enlarge my heart to go through it. They've already taken my brother into custody. 
I'm not asking you, Lord, uh, to turn him around. I'm asking you to enlarge my heart, uh, to be a blessing to him while he's away, to be able to process this, uh, to go through this. Give me the strength of heart to endure it. Matthew 24, 13 says, he who endures to the end will be saved. And I close with this. Thank you for sticking with me tonight. It's a classic film called Glory. There's a brother, his name is Pastor Fabian Talamante. Years ago, he's the one that showed it to me. And I knew the history, but I didn't know all the details. I told you guys, the Civil War is one of my favorite times in history. It's so real and relevant today. But there was a 54th Regiment, which was the first and only black regiment, the Union Soldiers. And they were led by a young man named Colonel Robert G. Shaw, Robert Gould Shaw. And he led the 54th Regiment of the Union uh, in the Civil War, and one of the great battles that turned the tide of the Civil War was the attack on Fort Wagner. And they're out there and they say, hey, we got to penetrate this fort. But the way the beach is, the way they're situated, it's very difficult to use covert strategy to get up there. They're up high. They got the high ground, this and that. And so, you know, we can't just bring two and three regiments at a time. We got to bring them one at a time. And, and, and you know, one of the colonels said, I, I have to warn you that the casualties are going to be high. But if we penetrate this, we can turn the tide of the war. We can turn this thing around. Colonel Robert Shaw stood, walked forward, and he said, Commander, with your permission and your blessing, the 54th Regiment wants to be the first to lead the assault on Fort Wagner. And the commander looked confused. He's like, your men haven't slept in two days. They need to relax. Uh, you, uh, listen, we, we, I can't do that to you. you you're, not, you you're tired. You, you haven't slept in two days. What the colonel said in reply was legendary, and I want you to pay attention to me. He said, there's more to fighting than rest, sir. There's strength of heart. Listen to me, Christian. There's more to fighting than just taking a break. There's more to fighting than asleep or drawing your sword or running when things get hot. There's more to fighting the devil and hell than that. There's strength of heart. Colonel Shaw goes on to say, he said, you should have seen us two days ago. We were a sight to see. They were just in combat two days before that. Oh, you should have seen us two days ago. Oh, we were a sight to see. We had our first battle uh, in that, that, that battle that took place uh, two days prior to that. Uh, they lost 43 soldiers in one battle. And Colonel Shaw is like, send us into Fort Wagner. We'll go first. Uh, you haven't had any rest. Uh, you're tired. Uh, your soul must be crushed. Oh, but there's more to fighting uh, than rest, sir. 
There is strength and character of heart. We will go fight. The Lord is with me. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray no matter what I go through. I know I'm tired. I know I'm broken. I know the situation is inevitable, but there's more to fighting than running away. There's strength of heart. You should have seen me on Sunday. You should have seen me the Wednesday before. You should have seen me Tuesday morning in prayer. I was a sight to see with tears running down my face, binding everything to keep the devil off my marriage. I was a sight to see. You should have seen me two days ago when I was binding the devil uh, to get his hands off my kids, uh, to get his hands off my finances, to get his hands off my ministry. I've got a destiny. Uh, there's more to fighting uh, than just running away and quitting and resting. There's strength and character of heart. When life deals crushing blow after crushing blow, do you have the strength of heart to triumph over it all? Because through Christ, you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's Hebrews 13 right there. So I may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? See, this takes surrender, friend. We have to surrender our whole life to Jesus. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God will lift up a standard against him because there's more to fighting than rest. There's strength of heart. And I pray tonight that we leave this place with confidence that, God, my heart is ready. I cannot change my present circumstance. That's your job. In the meantime, Lord, let it be known, O King, we will not bow. We will not worship the golden image. We're going to keep going forward. I may never see the end of this battle. It does not matter. The Lord is my helper. God, my heart is ready. Let's bow our heads for a moment.